1: Coming up on the Money Beat podcast, bank earnings season rolls on. We will tell you what we have learned so far. And SoftBank, in a surprising $32 billion deal for Arm Holdings, we will tell you what it means for those companies and for Sprint.
0: This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Steven Grosser.
1: How are you doing, everybody? Paul and Stephen here in the studio, uh, bringing together again, reconvening our panel of uh, Wall Street Journal banking experts, Aaron Back, John Carney, Aaron Lucchetti. Gentlemen, how are you guys doing today? Great. Great, great. Feeling good. Uh, I always love to see Grocer in the in the office early, 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 doing the live blogs when the banks report earnings. And that's I, what I uh, about Trust me,
3: I love it just as much as you do.
1: You do. Of course you do. Uh, so, look, Bank of America today reports earnings. Latest big bank to report. Uh, gentlemen, you don't need me to prompt you with questions. You have a lot to say here. Let's just get right into it. Gross. Well, you, you know, just gonna, I mean,
3: like, yeah. four banks have reported. we got two left. Yeah. I mean, what have we learned so far? Right. What have we learned so far? Uh, Aaron, what have we learned?
0: Uh, So, uh, bank earnings have been not great, but not bad. I think, on the whole, banks are beating very modest expectations, is how I would characterize the quarter so far. Uh, One takeaway, just to pat myself on the back real quick, as I predicted, loan growth has been um, one positive. Uh, We saw... You know ten percent loan growth at J p Morgan, eight percent loan growth at wells Fargo, and that 's pretty positive. I think it's a positive sign for the u s economy as well as for the banks,
4: although for the banks the the it 's a little bit like you know well we 'll lose it on every sale, but we 'll make it up on volume correct in that you know their interest rate margins are getting severely compressed um, and so they're yeah they're making more loans but they had better make more loans because each loan makes them uh, less and less money. But what kind
1: of loans are they making? Are those consumer loans,
4: commercial? I mean, the really interesting thing
0: is, it is it's strong across the board. Yes, yeah. uh, yeah. commercial has been running strong and is still consumer is showing signs of picking up. Credit card loans, auto loans, uh, mortgages. It's uh, it's it's pretty strong across the board. So as I say, that's. Uh, it is actually, I think, encouraging for the U.S. economy.
3: What about at the banks, on the bank level? Has loan growth been strong for each of them, or have some been stronger
0: than others? So, um, the, you know, I mentioned that it was very strong at Wells Fargo and J.P. Morgan. Um, bank of America and Citigroup have their own problem, which is that they have these big sort of bat, like portfolios of bad assets left over from the crisis that they're still running off. So, because those are still on their books and they're actively trying to shrink them, that makes it very hard for them to have overall strong loan growth. Because there's a, you know, a section of their loans that they're deliberately shrinking. But um, if you look at so, you know, overall loan growth at Bank of America was three percent, which is not very good. But core loan growth, taking out that bad portfolio, for example, was nine percent.
4: And um, one of the things is Bank of America and Citigroup are both more hesitant to do what. JP Morgan said it's doing, and what Wells Fargo has definitely been doing, which is what the bankers like to call expanding the credit box, which is just which is total jargon. It, for- right, it's banker talk for loosening the standards that you're making loans. JP Morgan said it was doing this with some credit cards. They're not, you know, going crazy. Uh, it's still, you know, the average FICO score is still very high. But Bank of America and Citigroup uh, both said that they're not really looking to expand. The, into you know more being a more general creditor to America, they're still partly because they have these large portfolios they're trying to run off. They're still keeping a pretty tight grip on yeah, I mean, who in they're part, lending in, to. And
2: part because of the hangover that that Aaron referred to on Bank of America still dealing with bad loans so far after the crisis. They are much more a cost-cutting story. Brian Moynihan came out today, sort of recommitted to, to cutting more cost. I think put out about a $4 billion target for further cost cuts in the next two years. Um, that's a much different tone than what Jamie Dimon gave at J.P. Morgan and, and Wells Fargo gave. Uh, Last week, which was much more of a loan growth, healthy U.S. consumer, we're going to take advantage of that uh, big, fast-growing economy here in the U.S. Uh, If if you listen to Brian Moynihan, it's much more a disciplined story, uh, and and they're not going to try to get over their skis on uh, the credit box or taking risks. And
4: and interestingly, one of the ways that they are bringing down costs is by pushing – Digital and mobile banking on people. So these companies that everybody, you know, the, all the fintech guys described as dinosaurs um, are actually doing a lot of business through their mobile apps. Uh, it's way up at uh, at Bank of America. I think they said that their total um, that that peer-to-peer payments, which is you know the you and I exchanging money, is up like twenty eight percent from a year ago it's still very small but you know these are things that people thought you were going to have to have square or google payments do but the banks are actually wanting to do it a lot because they're much cheaper than clearing a physical check Um, and so they're encouraging everybody to use the mobile their mobile payment systems and to pay everything digitally if they can
2: Yeah, and as the branches get lower and lower, B of A especially has cut lots of branches. It becomes more economic for a customer to just turn to that mobile app instead of uh, driving 10, 20 miles to the nearest branch.
3: I guess the question is we have left um, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley. What can we sort of take away from you know the four banks that have reported so far. You know how do they? What are they? Are they going to be predictive in any way of like how uh, Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley are going to perform? Uh, so
0: I mean, Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley are both more like markets oriented, obviously. Right. And what's interesting is that you know the big four have all reported uh, pretty good trading results um, in fixed income, equities. Uh, there's been pretty good trading volumes. So I would say that that you know augurs well, at least for this quarter. For those two banks. But that may not mean much because what everyone is wondering is, you know, what happens in the second half post Brexit, you know, near term Brexit caused all this volatility, which was positive for the banks because they clear all those trades.
1: Well, and, you know, Carney, you talked about this. You, you did an entry in the live blog this morning about this, about
4: trading revenue, specifically at Bank of America and, and what that might mean for Wall Street. Right, so there was definitely a lot more trading activity around Brexit. Um, Different banks, you know, termed it differently, but that boosted trading for them. And so, and that's one of the ways they were able to beat expectations because people didn't. Just as nobody expected Brexit, nobody expected the banks to get the Brexit bump. That's a lot of Bs in one sentence. <laughs> uh, but you And one of the things I want to emphasize when we're talking about banks beating expectations, these are expectations that three months ago they would not have beat. They, so the analysts all brought down their expectations, right, right. and so therefore the banks beat it, but it was a low bar. And if you looked at what people thought the banks would be earning a year ago today, you, you'd see that – it's their expected earnings for 2016 has come down like 25 percent for a lot of the banks, yeah. which explains exactly what we've seen well, it's happen. a to year their ago. Stocks. People
0: expected we'd have like several interest rate hikes by now. Yeah. Right,
4: we were supposed wow. to be in the the so-called rising rate environment. Right, that was the phrase on everybody's lips. Uh, And now, you know, if you tried to bring that up, I think people would laugh you out of the room. So
1: what, before we wrap this up, I want to get this from all you guys, too. Uh, We have two more big banks to report, as well as a number of other smaller regionals and all that stuff. But what are the most important, I want you each to give me one, if you can. What's the most important thing to look out for in the second half of 2016 regarding the banks?
2: Well, on and, and Goldman, I mean, this is their, their moment to shine in the second quarter. They, you know, trading environment is, is strong. Fixed income bond trading is strong. This is an environment where Goldman should really do well. The question is, can they carry that over, and how far do they um, turn over this new leaf, which they're trying to do with retail, um, banking, and with uh, consumer lending, which is just a very early effort from them, but something that a lot of people on the street are watching closely. I'm going to cheat by having an A and B.
4: My A is what happens to their, the interest they earn, which is very important. That's been getting further and further compressed. Uh, and B, what happens to the interest they pay? Remember, banks are also big payers of interest to your deposits. And what we saw with Bank of America is they actually lowered the amount they pay Americans on savings accounts but raise the amount that they're having to pay for certain kinds of accounts abroad. And if that starts to happen in the U.S., if to, in order to keep up deposits and chase the deposits they want, they have to start paying depositors more. That will definitely put you, the squeeze on them. You, you
1: mean the pennies that I get on my deposits right now, I can get more pennies? It's,
4: uh, right now, the average uh, on a Bank of America savings account that they paid is 0.01%. A year ago, you got 0.02%. So you, 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 your, your penny has – you now just get one penny, right.
3: not two. But just be thankful you're in the United States, Paul. I mean, you could be giving the banks those I planets. am
4: thankful every day that
1: I'm <laughs> in the United States of America. Uh, Aaron Beck, what do you think?
0: Uh, so I think that um, the, the main thing to look out for, I think, is whether or not the fallout from Brexit is really, like, not so bad after all. I mean, what's striking is that we have seen two significant U.K. M&A deals since the Brexit vote. You know, we saw SoftBank right. acquiring Arm and a, you know, very big deal. And we saw also, um, you know, this Chinese company buying this U.K. cinema chain also post-Brexit vote. And so this big fear that there was going to be this, like, paralyzing uncertainty that was going to freeze M&A volumes and push traders to the sidelines doesn't appear to be happening. And if that's the case, then, you know, we could have, you know, things might not be that bad, you know, especially for banks like Goldman Sachs in the second half. I
4: I will point out that uh, there, there was a writer at the Wall Street Journal who said that there could be expansionary uncertainty. And he, oh, wait, sorry. That was me, coined the phrase Brexpansion. Uh, and that certainly seems You're to be... still trying to get that one out there, huh? We, we are nice, seeing nice. something like expansionary uncertainty, where uncertainty and... and wow,
3: wow, wow. You were, you were speaking about the UK uh, economy, and I think there should be... We're a,
4: seeing people make deals in light of uncertainty rather than not make deals. that's, well, the, that's I, the I think a
3: foreign company buying a UK company where they can get synergies and cut costs is not necessarily uh, going to be expansionary. We're an
0: entirely predictable... You have to understand that the, the, the
2: British companies are selling out. This has out.
0: nothing to do with your thesis. It has to do with the fact that <laughs> the pound got cheaper. <laughs> exactly. And it is cheaper to buy UK assets, which we is Econ see. 101. O-
1: all it really has to do is he's trying to he's trying to coin a phrase. That's all it re- <laughs> <laughs> He does not even care if he's right or wrong. Hashtag What's the coin of phrase? All right, Hashtag, right We will leave but it there. I d-
3: I, well, I do have one final we question. Won't leave it there. Yeah, because we didn't. What we saw in uh, the bank earnings did that play into sort of this notion that the the U.S. consumer is holding up well right now, and and that could bode well for the economy
0: in the sort of second half. I mean, so far, definitely. I think you know virtually every bank has said in their commentary
4: that they see consumer
0: strength. So, yeah,
4: I agree. It, and consumer strength, business strength, it, it does seem like the U.S. economy is doing well. You can't get 8 nine, ten 9%, 10% loan growth if the economy is not doing well. That means both that consumers are spending and businesses believe that consumers are going to keep spending and they're borrowing to expand. Yeah, that's a rapid rate of loan growth, ten percent, and so the fact that we're seeing that does make it seem like we're going
2: to the economy is doing pretty well. That's an interesting backdrop too for the convention season, where we'll hear a lot of comments about the economy. I and mean, I think, you know, John, you should try, you know,
3: America, Amerispansion. I mean, you know, that's what...
4: Uh, there's already I, a guy and... out there with a phrase. It's called make America great again, right? Oh, wow. It's uspansion. Matt. Is this the, us, the
1: uspansion? The uspansion. How about yes. that? Yes. All right, gentlemen, I well, thank you very much. We're going to let you go because we have to get Miriam in here because we're going to talk about that SoftBank deal. So we will be back right after this.
4: I'm Veronica Dagger, and I want to retire rich. How about you? Then listen to the Watching Your Wealth podcast We'll help you get there. For more information, check us out at wsj.com/podcasts and find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and now Spotify. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now back to the show.
1: Paul and Stephen here in the studio with you. Hey, folks! For more podcasts, check us out at wsj.com/podcasts. We have a a plethora. Of uh, topics to interest you, a lot of different shows out there. We have Your Money Matters, The Free for All, Speakeasy, The Tech News Briefing, WSJ Opinion, and Heard on the Street. And if you don't subscribe to Heard on the Street, we're going to give you a little taste of what Heard on the Street is like. Because today we have one of the writers from the Heard on the Street, team. but also also the star of their podcast. And oh, you cut me off there. And the star of their podcast. That's what I like to do. I know. Miriam Gottfried. Miriam, how are you?
5: Hi, I'm doing well. If you don't subscribe to Hurt on the Street podcast, you should. You should. You <laughs> definitely should. So this is like this is like
1: one of those very special episodes of a 70s sitcom where the big stars <laughs> of one show come over to talk with the little stars of the struggling show to help us out. That's why we got Miriam in oh, here today.
5: Thanks, guys. Uh,
1: and to talk about SoftBank.
5: Yes. think Cre-
1: I, Crazy is not too crazy a word to use to describe this thirty-two billion dollar deal. It's a huge deal buys UK semiconductor company ARM. Uh, give us the the ramifications of this. How, just how and you're somebody who has covered SoftBank and Sprint and all this stuff for a long yes. time. Yes. So just how surprising was this?
5: Well, you know, we've had SoftBank over the past few months selling off assets, kind of building up this war chest uh, of cash that you know, we thought and many analysts and investors thought was going to be used to bolster Sprint, which is this big bet they made in the U.S. on a wireless carrier with the hope that they could combine it with T-Mobile, that regulators, you know, preemptively nixed that deal. The deal was never done.
1: Several years ago. Several years ago,
5: back in 2014. And since then, it's really floundered. The stock has risen a lot recently, partially because of, you know, this idea that maybe some of that cash that SoftBank right. was building up was going to be injected back into Sprint to help it with its, with its debt. SoftBank, considerable
3: SoftBank was one of the big investors in Alibaba, uh, at, well, along with Yahoo, and sold a good portion or all of its stake. in They didn't uh, sell
5: all of Alibaba, I believe. They sold a good portion, though, and they sold all of their stake in Supercell, which is um, you know a, a, game, a Finnish mobile game maker, which they sold to Tencent. And that reaped, I think, $9 billion for them. So it's it's a lot of a lot of cash and that could have done a lot for Sprint, um, you know. But it doesn't look like the cash is going yeah. there. Yeah, I mean,
3: Sprint shares are down what seven percent today, and and
5: yeah, they've sort of wavered between six and seven percent down. So there there are a couple of interesting things.
1: One of the things I want to get your take on is is I can't find it in the story right now, but I know I read in our our spot story on this that. Uh, SoftBank kind of intimated that they're they're pleased with where Sprint is and how it's yeah. performing, and so that maybe they didn't need to put money into. It It sounded like a backhanded yeah, compliment this. to me. M-
5: Masayoshi Son, the CEO of SoftBank, had a conference call with investors um, Monday morning to talk about the deal, and he said, "Somebody, you know, the, one of the first questions out of the gate was, you know, why isn't this money going to Sprint?" Mm-hmm. And he said. Sprint has been Sprint has been doing well. It's now in a position where it will be self, where it's self sufficient it doesn't need any more capital infusions from Softbank. He said it's going to be free cash flow positive by the end of this year or next. So that's kind of a big window of time. Right. Um, he said but he said that that gave him confidence that he could go and focus on other things. I think he kind of just wants to do what he wants to do and doesn't really want to talk about this bad bet that he made in the U.S. On Sprint? On Sprint, do you, yeah.
1: Do you think that or other people are well, saying he did, that?
5: Well, he did say...
1: That it's a bad he bet, said yeah.
5: He admitted that it was a bad bet. He said he made a miscalculation in thinking that U.S. regulators would approve a deal between these two companies because that was the whole premise of his reason for buying Sprint. But he said now he's happy that he didn't sell his stake in hmm. Sprint And he thinks it is well run and will be doing fine and won't need any outside capital. I think, you know, we shouldn't rule out that he may go back to the table and try to get another another deal done with T-Mobile.
3: Yeah, because that was a question. I mean, at some point... Sprint and T-Mobile are competing against two behemoths and you know and and they're and they're in a weak position. I mean, how can you grow and grab, you know, significant market share when you're going up against, you know, Verizon and AT&T? So um, yeah,
5: I mean, Massa was talking about, you know, some things that have happened at sprint that have helped bolster its balance sheet internally but these have been kind of like financial shenanigans where yeah. they've done these sale leaseback arrangements with their handsets and with their network in order to get some cash to to cover their immediate debt you know repayment needs and that's not really a real solution. And in the long run, the only way this company is legitimately going to turn around is through consolidation or through another buyer yeah. coming in.
1: So, so Sprint doesn't get any of the SoftBank war chest, at least right now, but they get the Verizon pitch guy.
5: <laughs> right. So, I don't watch TV. What? What's the? What is the You horizon? haven't seen the the, the no, guy who
1: used to do the the? Where, can you hear can me you now? Oh commercials yeah, right. For, that's right. Yeah, and yeah.
5: now he's now he's doing now he's doing sprint commercials. Right. Commercials. Sounds like that guy's a pitch guy for hire. He kind of is. Yeah, so, yeah, whoever will hire him to to talk. Shocking, about. like yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean,
1: <which> guy is. <laughs>
5: yeah. But I mean, <laughs> to, one, he's, to one
1: extent or another, we all kind of are.
5: He's not a he's not a network scientist, right? <laughs> right, <now. laughs> right, right.
1: But so let's talk about the other big thing: is why SoftBank, a Japanese telecom company, bought a. And the fact that they're U.K. Is, is neither here nor there. But why did they go out and buy a chip company? What, what, what's the gambit there?
5: Well, you know, these chips are used in iPhones. They're they're very important chips. Um, they also... A big thing that Masayoshi Son was talking about in, in his discussion of the deal was the Internet of Things. He said these chips are going to be what powers the Internet of Things. So the Internet of Things is something... It's like a buzzword that we hear all the time, yes. and it, I actually hate that term because it basically means that, you know, everything will be connected to the Internet mm-hmm. in the future. But uh, we've been hearing about the Internet of Things for, like, probably, like, 20 years now, and it's still, like, no. this future that might exist someday. I mean, it, was in
3: the, it was in the late 90s. I mean, Microsoft was yeah. supposedly going to connect your whole house. Right. Like, within, you know, like, the, the, a couple of years.
5: And there's probably some reasons why that hasn't happened, yeah. and maybe part of it is that people don't really care about having everything, every single thing connected. I mean, which is not to say that there isn't going to be some, you know, more connect, you know, connected home stuff happening, right. or that the Internet of Things will, might go beyond the home into a different area. It might be go into, you know, medicine. It might go into, you know, other spheres. But I think that's a very vague rationale for a deal.
1: I mean, I hear a lot about the Internet of Things, doing all the, the Bitcoin, Ethereum, blockchain stuff I do, and, and I don't think it's that outlandish. Mm. I mean, I think it is. this is going to happen. Keep in mind, they don't – Arm designs chips, but they're not the, the plant. They're not the founder. They don't make the chips. They They – Funnel that yeah. out, right? Right.
3: So, but I mean, my point is, like, the Internet of Things is such a broad conversation, and it expands so much that you're talking about, you know, the Internet of Things is why Apple's going to buy a car company. I mean, right? Is, it's is a Apple, very
5: broad, vague concept.
3: Yeah. I mean, is Apple going to be able to, you know, scale up a car company? I don't know. No. Well, I mean, I, that, mean, I mean, I'm not saying that's just they been a can. rumor. It has been a rumor. Persistent. And, and, they haven't done it yet. They haven't done it, and you know, and they've been very coy and hinted yeah. at it, and all that. But my point being is, you know, the question is, you know, to scale up a full-on car company is a very difficult, time-consuming, you know, right. process. But, I, you know, well, and, and that the, doesn't mean like it, it's a risky, risky bet. Yeah.
1: Well, the difference is, SoftBank went out and bought a chip company. They didn't just try to build one from scratch. Right.
3: Well, I mean, like Apple's, you know, like the idea is like, you know, Apple could go on and buy one or, you know, two. I mean, it's it's a risky move because like the Internet of Things gives you the cover to make acquisitions that are not in your necessary niche. Um, no, other, I, I and get what you're and, and that, and I that comes, I think, in the history of deal making. When you're talking about deals being very unsuccessful most of the time, that's a
5: risky move. I think the biggest risk in this deal is the price they paid. Yeah. I think it's the yeah. multiple. I mean, strategically they could make it work, and it, you could see why it's it's a good asset to have at this time, but. If you pay too much, then it makes it hard to justify a deal.
3: Yeah. The other question, it, just very quickly, is you, you know you talked about the impact that this could have with
5: Yahoo. Um, oh yes. Um, so it's sort of a brief point, but you know, on we saw as we mentioned, SoftBank selling part of its Alibaba stake. So that suggests it's probably not going to be a buyer for Yahoo's Alibaba stake. So that eliminates one potential buyer. Um, it also showed that they had to have a number of different parties buy that stake. It was Alibaba and a number of others that had to you hmm. know, y- contribute because it was a large stake. Yeah, yeah. Yahoo's stake is also very large, so it shows that it wouldn't be so easy necessarily to assume that Alibaba could just Get jump rid of and in take and them, buy yeah. Yahoo's Alibaba stake. Secondly, Yahoo has, an, has a Yahoo Japan stake. Um, And there's a question of what's going to happen to that. Some people say, oh, maybe it will be spun off in a tax-free spinoff, and maybe SoftBank could be a buyer of that this doesn't really make it seem like SoftBank wants to go too much deeper into something like Yahoo Japan. It already is very exposed to that. And I've been arguing, you know, why does it need more exposure? I think this shows that they're moving in a different direction. And
3: then also, like, you know, Yahoo's also run into plenty of hurdles trying to do this tax-free spinoff of both its Alibaba and Yahoo Japan stake.
1: Talk about something else we've been hearing about for years.
5: (laughs) Well, we'll have more updates on that soon.
1: Oh, yeah. Good tease. Good tease. All right, we will leave there. Miriam, thank you very much for coming in. We appreciate it. My pleasure. And I'm glad that we could, you know, swoop in and co-opt whatever you're going to talk about on Heard this week. (laughs) So, uh, everyone, thank you for listening. We will catch up with you again later this week.
4: WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.